Hi everyone. Well, it's my privilege this morning to introduce uh, David to you. And David's going to be preaching for probably the next uh, 20 minutes or so. And I could promise you one thing, he's going to be so much better than that woman you had last week. <laughs> so just to introduce David, as we've already said, Lois um, is at youth camp today. So we've got in the next best thing, a dad. How good <laughs> is that? And David's been part of this church here for about 20 years. At least. At least. <laughs> so when he came, he was only 25. Uh, and it's just so lovely that we've got him preaching for us today. He is someone who can be trusted totally. He's a faithful man of God. And um, Paul and I have been in David and Mandy's life group for a number of years when they ran the group. And it was one of the best things ever. So you are in for a real treat now over the next 20 minutes or so. So let's just pray for um, David and then we'll hand over to him. So Father God, today we just thank you for all the work that's gone into preparing this preach. God, we thank you that your spirit has spoken things into David's heart and he's going to just deliver those to us this morning. And God, as you've already started speaking and sold us so much, we look forward now to hearing more from you and more from your word and more from the very heart of God for us. Amen. 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 Thank you, Di. And of course, Di last week was talking about Anna. Uh, the week before, Kemi was talking about Tabitha. The week before that, Justine was talking about Gideon. So we're in this little series on hidden figures, characters in the Bible, maybe that they are slightly in the shadows that we don't know too much about. So we're going to be um, finding out about one of them, uh, as you can see, in a moment. <laughs> a double act it is today, okay? Um, but we did ask the question, sometimes we have these questions on a Sunday which are so complicated, like, for example, you know, what's the answer to world peace and things like that. So I thought I'd go with an easy one. What is your favorite color and why? Well, let's have a few shout-outs. Favorite colors? Red. Red. Blue, blue down there. Pink. Blue <laughs> did you say blue, Michael? You've got yellow on. <laughs> Agree. Yeah, oh, lovely. Well, inevitably, we'll have the whole rainbow of colors in this room. And it is funny how people choose different colors. Uh, as you can see, my favorite color... Oh, right. Yes. Um, something's gone wrong there. Um, a bit of a mixture, <laughs> but there we go, yeah, and uh, what, what, I don't know what it is really about why people do have favorite colors, you know, that they like to wear certain colors. Now, we're going to be hearing uh, the story of Lydia in the Bible, so Lydia is our focus today, she's uh, uh, referred to in the um, New Testament, guess what her favorite color is? <laughs> Did somebody say gray? <laughs> It's a sort of mixture of mauves and reds. Well, the, the answer is purple. Purple. Yeah, purple. Um, so we'll find out why, uh, anyway, as we, as we look, look at her story. Uh, we're going to take a, a reading in the, in the Bible. It's just a few verses in the book of Acts. So obviously in your Bible, New Testament, second part of the Bible, uh, the book of Acts follows the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the book of Acts uh, is the story of the Acts of the Apostles, when the, the church was growing in those early days. And uh, we're going to look at these verses, and you'll see from that headline um, that she's sort of described in the Bible as a true believer. Now, I would have thought you might be curious to know what a true believer is. And we might even ask the question later on, you know, are you a true believer? Am I a true believer? What's the difference? So Lydia is the story. And what I'm going to do, first of all, is just explain, as you can see 
from the next uh, slide as we read the story that it starts with the words, we boarded a boat. Now, quite rightly, you need to ask, well, who's we? Why are we on a boat? And why are we going to Troas? And where is Troas? Now, think of this room as a map, okay, of the part of the world we're talking about, which is sort of Turkey and Greece. So if you were a bird up in the sky looking down on this room, you would be looking at a map of Turkey and Greece. And Turkey is kind of this section here. So those of you in the middle sections, you're in Turkey, okay? So over there on the far side, that would really, if you were looking at a map, be Israel, really, okay, as we think of it now. So Israel is over there, Turkey's here, and this group over here, they're in Greece, okay? They're in Greece, which is referred to as Macedonia. So the we, just to explain what that's all about, and you look at your Bibles maybe later, you'll see that the book, in, the book of Acts changes at that verse, verse 11, from they to we. So up until, literally, chapter 16, verse 11, Luke, who's written the book of Acts, is talking about they. They did this, they did that, and so on. But then at that verse, he says we. So that would imply he was there. He's an eyewitness, and he's telling you something that he experienced himself. So he's included. But the others involved uh, include Paul, and we just need to remind ourselves, I mean, I'm sure you've heard that phrase, a road to Damascus experience, yeah? Have you heard people say that, where there's been a kind of complete change around in your life? Well, of course, that was a man, if you don't know the story, that had exactly that, a complete change around. Paul was this young Jewish guy who, when the first people were becoming followers of Jesus, he didn't like it. In fact, he hated it. In fact, worse than that, he was throwing those new believers into prison and worse and yet, on the road to Damascus, literally, he had this amazing experience. There was this blinding light. He saw and heard Jesus, and he believed in Jesus from that moment onwards, and his life completely changed around. So from having been throwing Christians into prison and everything else and worse, he was then a follower himself. And was so, we, we use that word zealous, he was so enthusiastic about believing in Jesus and want others to believe in Jesus, that he went out of his way and he traveled literally thousands of miles. So if you imagine this map here, so this is Turkey, that's Greece, that's Israel. Jerusalem is sort of kind of where the door is, where you come in. That's sort of Jerusalem. Damascus is sort of halfway up there. And then Antioch will be over there somewhere in, in Syria. So Paul, being this new believer in Jesus, travels hundreds of miles, initially by boat, largely, and then secondly, and this is where we meet the story, by foot. So just imagine walking something like 800 miles from Jerusalem to uh, Damascus, then to Antioch, then to a place called Lystra, where he meets a young guy called Timothy. And he's very impressed with Timothy and invites him to join him along with Silas. So you've got Paul and Silas, joins Timothy, and then they get to... Uh, this, this point over on the kind of coast of Turkey here, kind of actually, funny enough, where John's uh, sitting with your peak cap on, which is rather appropriate, John, because, of course, a captain of a boat would have a peak cap. So imagine John in the port of Troas, all right, and they're about to sail from Troas. That's Luke included, because Luke joins them, because he's saying we, so he's on the boat. They're going to sail from Troas across the sea to Greece. There's a little island in the middle, which is referenced there, Samothrace, but they're going to go to Neapolis. Now, Neapolis is probably where Solomon is sitting, just on the other side there. So Solomon's in Neapolis, 
and then they're going to go on. So we'll just read that there so that you know what we're talking about, hopefully now. We boarded a boat at Troas and sailed straight across to the island of Samothrace, and the next day we landed at Neapolis. So that's where Solomon is. The next verse says... From there, we reached Philippi. So Philippi is kind of probably a little bit where Danny is, just on the far side there. So it's somewhat inland. So they've got off the boat. They've walked some distance to Philippi. And as it's described, look, a major city of that district of Macedonia, which is Greece, and a Roman colony, which makes it rather special. It's like a sort of capital city for Romans. And we stayed there several days. So we've got Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, this sort of band of brothers who are passionate about Jesus, and they're now in Greece, a foreign land. I mean, Europe, basically. They're in a completely different part of the world. And they've traveled all that way, talking, preaching, teaching about Jesus, all the way to as many people as possible. And now they find themselves, led by the Holy Spirit, in this place called Philippi, which is over there. Now, the next verse, if we uh, have a look at that, says, On the Sabbath... We went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. So just think of it for a second. Philippi, that's the city over there. It's a Roman colony. So there aren't many Jews living in that place. And you have to have something like 10 Jewish men to form a synagogue, to have a synagogue, a sort of place where people would pray. So because they haven't got that many, they go down to the river. This is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Go down to the river where there are people gathered, as it says, um, for prayer. The next verse says that. We sat down to speak with some women who had gathered there. So there were some women. Uh, these could have been people who weren't uh, Jewish believers, but they could have been Jewish believers who were gathered for, for prayer. And the next verse says, one of them was Lydia from Thyatira, a merchant of expensive purple cloth who worshipped God. And uh, the next verse, just imagine that scene there. So you've got the, the guys, they're talking to the people about Jesus, sharing their faith, if you like, to this group of women. And this verse here, look, chapter 16, verse 11 says, And she listened, as she listened to us, the Lord opened her heart, and she accepted what Paul was saying. The great thing about the Bible is that these uh, you know, few verses capture so much and you've got to sort of almost put yourself in the scene and imagine what that was like. So this, this woman, who we know is a merchant of expensive cloth, we'll come on to that. She's from a place called Thyatira, which is back in Turkey. So Turkey, that town would have been sort of somewhere on the front row here. So she's left her home in Thyatira and traveled and moved, emigrated, you might say, about 250 miles over to Philippi. There's a good reason for that, which we'll find out about in a second. But just look at that verse again. As she listens to us, so Luke's telling you this story. As she listens to us, the Lord opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. So what we've got there is somebody who is intensely listening to the message. Um, she's not sort of turning them away. And she's willing to consider it. And I'm sure Alex won't mind if I just share briefly a story he mentioned to me just before the service, actually, where you were on this school of evangelism in Norfolk, you said, some years ago, out on the streets, talking to people about Jesus. You had some leaflets to give out. And you went to a chip shop, and there were two bikers going in. And you thought, oh, my goodness me, you know, what are they going to think about all of this? But you gave them a little message about Jesus, um, and one of them slipped it in his leathers, and one of them clearly wasn't interested. And I think that's just a little example, actually, of how when it says the Lord opened her heart, 
there was a, a willingness to listen to the message about Jesus. So, you know, sometimes we think, do we, that we have to persuade people to become Christians. Sometimes we think that, you know, it's all in the mind. But it's not, of course, is it? It's in the heart. It's an encounter with Jesus that is what clinches it, if you like. And ultimately, God makes the difference. So she opened her heart and she accepted what Paul was saying. So here you have this Lydia character who has accepted something that she didn't know about. I think it's worth me just saying that um, they've traveled all this way. This is Lydia who lived in Thyatira in this business she had. She's over now in Greece in Philippi. She, she, might, she will have known about the Jewish way of life, but she wouldn't have known about Jesus. And how many people out in our wider world don't really know about Jesus? Just a little example from my own life just a few weeks ago, I think, was when my granddaughter, uh, who is called Lydia, would you believe? She's four, by the way. She's just turned four, just the other day. So she's called Lydia, and, and would you believe it? Because children have a favorite color, don't they? Her favorite color is purple. Anyway, we were, we were away with them as a family, and uh, it was time for her to go to bed, so she had a story, and uh, I, I, I said, let's just say a prayer as you go to sleep, and uh, I said, I'm just going to talk to Jesus. And she said to me, who is Jesus? And it just got me, I've got to say, it just got me, because I thought, well, she's quite young, she's a four, but she hasn't yet had an opportunity to hear about Jesus, as still so many people in our world and the wider world haven't. Now, I pray that, of course, my little granddaughter will one day discover Jesus for herself and choose to follow him. But that's, that's uh, for, the, for the future, maybe. But I just thought, yeah, we can't assume that everybody knows the name of Jesus that we've been talking about in the way that we understand it and want to share it uh, today. So what I'm wanting to do is to, um, with Lydia here, dressed in purple... Uh, ask her just a couple of questions. I think I've got five quick questions I'm going to ask her. And I hope the five kind of answers that she gives will be five lessons that we can have to, to take away, if you like. Um, the first question is going to be, where are you from? So we know that the answer to the question, Lydia, she's not very talkative, I appreciate, is Thyatira. Thyatira is this place in, uh, in Turkey. Uh, funnily enough, the district is called Lydia. So that's probably how she got her name. It's the district of like Halton is a district, if you like. So Lydia was the, the region called Lydia. So she's either called that because it's, she's from Lydia, or Lydia does actually mean beautiful one or noble one, which is rather nice, isn't it? Um, but she, as it said in the text, she was um, someone who was a merchant in expensive uh, purple clothes or, or, or fabrics and so on. And probably if you know a little bit about history, you'll know that the Romans um, dressed often uh, in purple, didn't they? It was like a, a, uh, a color for nobility, for, for, for the upper classes, if you like. Um, and so she, and the reason why this purple, I mean, you might think, what, what's all this about purple? Is that Thyatira was a place where this purple dye was manufactured. And I, I discovered uh, only this week, actually, the things you learn. You know, they say you learn things every day. My middle daughter, Ruth, who's, who's part of the fellowship here, of course, um, lent me this little book called, it's a beautiful children's book called Extraordinary Women of the Bible. Extraordinary Women of the Bible. And would you believe there's a whole page or two on Lydia. And as you can see, it's colored purple, which is rather appropriate. And it explains that purple dye that was used in, in these days 
um, is what we would probably refer to now as Tyrian purple. Have you heard of Tyrian purple? Tyrian purple is a particular color of purple. Um, it's like a reddish, uh, dark purple color, which comes from, would you believe, seashells. Seashells. Um, uh, the, these are, I said seashells, sea snails, sorry, I said seashells. <laughs> Easy to say that. Sea snails. So sea snails have a particular um, content that is purple. And uh, back then, they had to crush something like tens of thousands of sea snails to generate the dye that they would then use to colour the fabric. So in other, words, in other words, it was very, very expensive. It was a very complicated process. Um, in fact, even now, even though the, the uh, manufacturing of this is, is not like it used to be by any means, even now, something like one gram of this purple dye uh, costs something like $3,000. Quite remarkable, really. And it's, it's a particular um, color that, that was dominant for, for, for her. And I suppose what it sort of highlights, really, is that Luke, in telling us this story of this group of women that responded to the message of Jesus, included somebody who was doing well, doing very nicely, very successful in business, by the look of it, a successful businesswoman. And uh, she, she responded to the, to the, to the, to the gospel. Um, we should just read on briefly in the uh, message, because in the, in the scripture, because we need to just remind ourselves of what happened next. So the next verse there says, she, this is how she responded after she had listened and um, uh, responded. She and her household were baptized. Now, we must assume from that 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 was that she had others living in her home. Uh, there's no man mentioned as it happens. So she must have been a successful businesswoman and she had other people living in her home. So she and her household were baptized. And then it goes on to say, and she asked us, this is Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. Um, she asked us to be her guests. And she says this, this was intriguing really. She says, if you agree that I am a true believer in the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she urged us until we agreed. And you might think, that's a bit strange, isn't it? Because, you know, uh, surely they would be glad to go and stay at her house um, if she's offered it to them uh, for the uh, time that they're there. But she needed to urge, um, she, she, they, they, she needed to sort of convince them, if you like, that it was right for her to, um, uh, to go, to, for them to go to her home. Um, and so I'm just going to put up the, the question uh, on, on our next slide, which is really a question for us all to ponder as I think a little bit more with you about the life of Lydia. And that is, are you a true believer? What, what, what's this, are you a true believer, all about? Um, I think what, what will help, actually, is if we, um, having uh, made one first point about um, uh, this, this message of Lydia, who, who has listened carefully, she's opened her heart, She's accepted um, Jesus into her heart. And I think what, what this reminds me about, I think, is that um, it doesn't matter really where you're from. She's from Thyatira. She's now in Philippi. But God is using her in, in that part of the world. God is changing her life in, in that part of the world. So we're going to just put one, one of uh, the first of five points up, if you like, which is this one, which is just a reminder to us that where you are now is more important than where you are from. You know, people may ask you that question. You know, where are you from? You know, where, where did you grow up? What's your background? Well, that's not unimportant, but where you are now, how God can use you now, is surely more important than all of your, your background. I, I think there's a, 
phrase, you know, don't let your backstory hinder your now story. Yeah? So, that's uh, our, our first point. Uh, the sec second uh, point that I think I'd like to, to, uh, to draw out is that um, here she is, this successful um, businesswoman, and like a lot of people who maybe are still working, or even if you're retired, um, you know, you're, you're, you're hard at something, but you have this view in the world out there which says either you, we should live to work or work to live. Have you heard that? People say either you live to work or work to live. And when they say live to work, what, what they really mean is that your job is everything. Your whole identity is around, you know, what you do, whatever that might be. And then the alternative is to work to live, where basically you just work your socks off and ready for the weekend where you can just go and do what you want and enjoy life. And it's almost as if those are the only alternatives. But I think Lydia's story is teaching us that neither of those really was fulfilling for her. She was doing very well in business. She must have been working hard. But neither living to work or working to live was what it was all about. Because, of course, she went on to make this commitment. Uh, she was baptized along with her household. And so it's not so much what we do or what we work at, but who we work for, uh, whatever we do. So our second point is this. It's who you live for is more important than what you live for. Okay? A reminder that if we are serving Jesus, then it's him that we're serving. Um, there's a famous phrase which is sometimes quoted in Colossians, which is, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. What you may be uh, not aware of is that that verse was actually said to slaves. That's the context. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. But, of course, it still contains that important truth, doesn't it? That whatever we do, it's who we're doing it for uh, rather than what we're living for. So that's my second point. And um, as we sort of move on, I want to share with you, having, if you can, picture the scene there with Lydia, her life has just changed. She was going in one direction. She was doing well. She was with her friend. She was praying. It says that she worshipped God. So she must have had some sense of God, but she hadn't any idea of Jesus. She'd not really heard about Jesus. She didn't really know what Jesus was going to do for her. And I think when you get to that point where um, something happens for you, when you have an encounter with Jesus, when you realize that, as we've been singing, uh, hope isn't just a concept, but it has a name, and that name is, is Jesus. I'm going to just show you just a short video, which is with a lady called Kathy, um, and she's telling her story. And as I listened to this the other day, I was thinking, it could almost be a modern-day Lydia that's telling her story. Just, just have a listen to what Kathy has to say. My name is Kathy Madavan. I wasn't actually brought up knowing much about Jesus. We weren't a family that went to church or anything. I was pretty convinced that Easter was Hot Cross Bun Day and Easter Egg Day. I didn't have much clue that it was more than that. And it wasn't actually until I got to university that people began to explain to me a little bit more about the truth of who Jesus was and is. And I got to university really feeling very low and a bit desperate after some difficult years at home with my parents splitting up and some other tough stuff happening. So 
I got to university as a young adult, not really having those foundations of unconditional love in my life, and I felt incredibly insecure and started sinking, really, as a result. But somebody at university started to tell me the truth about God and told me how God's love for me was so massive and unconditional that he would give everything for me and that Jesus would die in order for me to be reconciled to God so that everything I'd ever done wrong, all the bad stuff that happened in my life could be wiped clean and I could know God. And he was this amazing heavenly father that loved me unconditionally and would never let me down. And I just thought this was incredible truth. I couldn't understand how this, this reality was there and that no one had told me before. Like, why wouldn't you tell people this incredible truth? I remember sitting at a golf course and just saying to God, if this is true, if this is real, then, you know, I, I, I need to know this. And an old guy actually walked past and sat next to me and said he hoped he didn't mind me him listening to him, but he just returned from Africa as a missionary. And as he walked past me, he really felt God prompt him to say to me that he loved me. Well, I couldn't believe God had sent this messenger to me and I just ran back to the chaplaincy and found the chaplain and said, let me do whatever I need to do. I'll pray, I'll do whatever it takes to know you. And I became a Christian. And to be honest with you, that was utterly life-changing for me. It was as if God began to put these foundations of unconditional love back in my life. I knew I was valued and that God would never let me down. And since then, I think he's been slowly doing that, reforming, rebuilding, transforming work in me. And it's my joy and pleasure really to then ask other people, do you know him? Do you know Jesus? Because this is what he does in us. He recreates our life and gives us that foundation of love and security and hope for this life and the next life too. And it's a privilege to know him and I can't imagine not knowing him now. I thought it was beautifully put and very honest and from her heart, from her experience that she had this encounter with Jesus like Lydia must have done when Paul and the others were sharing that with, with her. Um, I've mentioned this before, I think, even from here. My favorite Bible verse is from Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. And it's, don't take yourself too seriously, take God seriously. That's what it's all about. So my point three is this. Taking Jesus seriously is more important than taking yourself seriously. If you stop and think about how much time you think about yourself, <laughs> um, if only we thought about uh, others more. But taking Jesus seriously is, is what it's all about. So as we go on just to find out what happened to Lydia as she made that decision, as she took Jesus seriously, you, you remember in the uh, passage we read, she chose to be baptized. Um, that was the first thing she did, in fact, with a whole household. Um, and then she went on to do something else. And just think for a second, you know, she was doing, as I said, work very well in business. Um, the decision she just made to choose to follow Jesus was going to affect things. You know, she would have had dealers in this purple cloth. She would have had customers. She would have had friends and, and others that she, that she knew. And what had happened for her was going to obviously influence them. But she still makes that public decision to be baptized, to actually say to her, uh, her, her friends, her family, her household, or whatever it might be, uh, that I have decided to follow Jesus. And um, I just want to you know, ask you the question as well. 
Uh, I was baptized some years ago, and I know we love the baptismal services here. We've got a big tank here that can be filled up <laughs> to allow you to be baptized in, in here. Maybe Lydia was baptized in the river where she was um, uh, praying nearby. Uh, that would have been wonderful, wouldn't it? But yeah, just ask you that question. Have you been baptized? Are you willing to declare to your friends and family, to your work colleagues, to your neighbors, that only Jesus really does make sense in life for you? And if so, then do make that decision as Lydia did. But then she did go on to do something else. And it was that sort of strange uh, interchange between um, her and the, the band of brothers, as I'm calling them, um, when she had to convince them for them to come and stay at her place. Uh, which was probably quite a place. If she was wealthy, if she was doing okay, then she probably had quite a place. And I don't know whether it was because um, they already had somewhere to stay or maybe they thought, well, no, that's not right to go to the, you know, the posh house down the road. Um, we're already okay down in the little B&B. Um, but she had to convince them, convince them, um, which she did, and they stayed for a few days. And I love the fact that there was that practical application of her faith. She didn't just say, right, I believe in Jesus. That's it, fine, full stop. She wanted to do something. She wanted to publicly declare her faith in baptism, and she wanted to do something practical. And um, she was being hospitable, wasn't she? She was opening her home, she could do, to those people. I was reading just this, day, this week, actually, that that uh, sense of hospitality, you know, where we can perhaps open our homes and, and, and uh, allow people to come have a meal or just have a cup of coffee or something, or indeed, you know, people can come to stay, depending on, you know, your circumstances. Hospitality is linked to that word hospital. Hospital. And a hospital is a place where, you know, you would receive caring, of course, and you would be able to, uh, we, we pray, you know, leave hospital um, stronger, healthier, um, better, sort of physically, emotionally, and, and spiritually even. So hospitality, when you think about that for a second, shouldn't just be, you know, a, a quick coffee and that's it, full stop. There's, there's actually something going on there when we are hospitable, when we are able to provide hospitality. Um, and you can only imagine that, you know, as Lydia said, yes, you know, you can come and stay at my place uh, for as long as you need to. Um, as a result of that, Paul and the others would have been strengthened. They would have been healthier as a result. They would have been ready for what was to follow. And if you read the story that follows in the book of Acts, uh, it's quite something, to say the least. In fact, they end up being flogged and thrown into prison. Um, and God sends uh, an earthquake, or sorry, an earthquake happens and, and they're released from jail. It's quite a fantastic story. And um, they, that doesn't stop them. <laughs> when they've traveled hundreds of miles to preach Jesus, it's not going to stop them to be thrown in prison and then to be released. And the jailer, who, who, who is just amazed at what's going on, he says, how can I be saved? He asks the question, how can I be saved? And he and his whole household uh, become Christians as well. It's, it's quite remarkable. But what this, for me, is, is um, helping us realize is that it's not just about, in terms of following Jesus, it's not just in our head, and it's not just in our heart, but it's got to be in our hands, okay? So think of head, heart, and hands as a way of maybe challenging yourself as to where you are in your, in your uh, following of Jesus. Is it just something that's up here? Is it more in here, or is it actually demonstrated by, by your hands? I mean, our fourth point is this one, which is living like Jesus is more important than believing in Jesus. Is it possible that, you know, you can sort of say, as it were on a piece of paper, yes, I'm a Christian, I believe in Jesus, but there isn't a lot of evidence to prove that that works out in, in, in practical, a practical sense. You know, the church here, Foundry Community Church, helping our community. To what extent are we actually putting those words into action? 
there's lots of things going on. How can we all be involved in, in, in all of that, I suppose, is the question. You hear people say, actions speak louder than words, which I don't think is in the Bible as such. It's a sort of principle that actions speak louder than words. Um, I did look up uh, one verse which relates to that, which is in 1 John, uh, chapter 3, verse 18, which says, not, let's not merely say that we love each other, let us show the truth by our actions. So, you know, here I am speaking, I'm preaching, as it were, up here. Um, you're just listening to words. But you're and, and I are preaching every day where we are, aren't we? Because we're preaching with our lives. And what we say obviously needs to uh, match what we, what we do. So this is where we're coming on to this question. Um, as challenged, really, by Lydia, are you a true believer? She was asking Paul and the others, um, if I'm a true believer then come to my house because I want to put into practice my newfound faith. I want to actually demonstrate that uh, it's real. If you were to sort of turn the clock on, um, you would discover that the church in Philippi um, continued to grow and grow well. And in fact, the letter to the Philippians in the Bible is worth reading when you think of Lydia being one of those that with others grew to become that congregation, if you like, that church in this Roman city. So 10 years has passed, and that's when the letter to the Philippians is written. So this is Paul writing to the Philippians, the Christians in Philippi, and encouraging them. And it is, it, the tone of it is, is it's very tender. He's really thankful for what, uh, what has happened uh, with, with the way that they've worked together. And just think of, think of ourselves here. Let me just give you, you know, let me see it, look at it like this. If you were receiving, if we all were receiving a letter from Paul to us, Foundry Community Church, um, 10 years after one of our number, you know, became a Christian like Lydia did, would some of these words um, be what you would be very pleased to hear? Because Paul's words are wonderful. He says here, look, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in, and we'll say Foundry Community Church, who belong to Christ Jesus. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. This is in the letter of the Philippians. Make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So our final point, number five, is this. Being a true believer is more important than being a believer. By which I mean, where's the evidence? If you were arrested for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to find you guilty? Head, heart, hands. That's what we're talking about. It's really putting into practice, day by day by day, our newfound faith in Jesus. So I'm really glad that Lydia is referred to in the Bible. I'm glad that Luke chose to talk about Lydia, of all the people that he could have talked about, but he chose to tell us a little bit about Lydia in just a few verses. And he's left us with this picture of a woman who was aware of God, but didn't know about Jesus, discovered Jesus, and that changed her life. She was baptized. 
she then provided hospitality. And she was no doubt part of this growing church that was doing so well. So I'm really, really pleased about that. I'm going to ask the band just to join us now because as we were singing earlier, that great new song, uh, Hope Has a Name, I know we're going to sing that in a second or two. Um, that's what it's all about, isn't it? That uh, all of us and those that we know, we're looking for hope. We want hope. We need hope. But hope does have a name. That name is Jesus. And uh, not only are we going to sing about it, but we're going to reflect on what that really means to, to live our lives for Jesus. So um, we're going to sing another song before that, which is all about the decision that perhaps we've made to follow Jesus. Um, because by making that decision, all sorts of things follow from then on, yeah? So uh, I'll leave you, now that the band are ready, to get up, stand, enjoy, sing the song, and then we'll, um, we'll finish. So thank you. Lovely. Lovely. <laughs>